Hey there, Film Buds. Welcome back to the Film Buds podcast. I'm your host, Paul. And I'm Lauren. And we are continuing our back-to-school season. Uh, it's actually our last back-to-school episode. It's the last weekend of August. Is it really? Yeah. Wow. Next weekend is September, because then it's Labor Day. You know, you know, that's that's right. That, mm-hmm. that feels correct. Wow. I guess I just didn't, I guess, know where the, where the last day of August fell. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it falls in the middle of next week. The middle of, it's hump day next week. Gotcha, gotcha. That's why I was like, it doesn't feel like <laughs> we should be, we should be done yet. But, you know, here we are. Um, yeah, it's, it, you I don't know, pay attention to the calendar. It's, it's one of those awkward endpoints, mm-hmm. kind of. Um, if I'm not mistaken, I get three pay periods next month. Um, I mean, possibly I got three in July. Okay. Um, but the point is it's back to school (laughs) month and it's winding down. You know, once you hit Labor Day, you're definitely at like, everyone is back in school. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's pretty fair. Um, and so, I mean, Labor Day is also, you know, like the start of college football season. And so that's that's kind of, you know, definitely, or at least it was for me because that's always when LSU's opening game was. Um, and so it's definitely wrapping up back to school season right mm-hmm. around now. Yeah. Um, and so all month long we've been going through and we've observed sort of the different types of characters that you see in school through film. Mm-hmm. And so we started with teachers, and of course we did kind of um, two different types of teacher, right? Well, the two li- different types of like the same type of teacher. Yeah, the they both of the sort day. of did a stand and deliver, but one was legitimately well prepared to other, be a teacher, and the other was winging it. Was a fraud, you know. <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, and then we did jocks and cheerleaders with mm-hmm. Friday Night Lights and Bring It On. Mm-hmm. Great um, time, great time. Incredible time. Um, really, really satisfied revisiting Friday Night Lights, the movie, after mm-hmm. all these years. Um, I think it's maybe too late now, but once upon a time, we probably could have done a, a real crack-up documentary uh, on that story. I mean, I'm sure that technically you can still do a documentary of that kind of story. Just, just pick a place. That's true. You know, like, I don't, I don't think that that thing is so far away from the normal than, um, you know, than, than it actually is. I think that that's probably the baseline. Consider this an official pitch. If you're interested, call me. Uh, <laughs> My number is 555. <laughs> um, and so, you know the email, filmbudspodcast. Exactly. Email me. Exactly. Uh, you know what? You know what? I was making a joke. You made it serious. Actually, contact us. <laughs> uh, and so, uh, then we moved on into outcast figures with uh, Carrie and... Uh, Dazed and confused, mm-hmm. you know, because mm-hmm. um, Mitch is ultimately, even though he plays baseball, he is an odd duck figure. Well, honestly, if we're really, if we're really counting, you know, apples and oranges over here of sports. Yeah. Baseball is not cool. Especially in like football country. Yeah. 
So football took baseball's whole thing and kicked it out. Like that's what happened. And so, uh, and of course, Carrie is, is an ultimate outcast figure story. Mm -hmm. You know, it's all about the pain of being the bullied Mm -hmm. of being the center point of, of people otherizing someone. Mm -hmm. This lightning rod. Exactly. Uh, of, of torment. No, um, honestly, yeah. And so then we decided that we would close out the month with one of our last major stereotypes, nerds and overachievers. Yep. And nerd and overachiever, I think, you know, can mean a lot of things. I think that sometimes people think nerd means good grades. Or, um, nerd might mean, uh, you know, sort of, uh, soft, soft spoken in some sort of way. But I think, or overachiever might even mean that, uh, you excel academically. But I think that all of these are, you know, loose terms. You know, I think that you can have nerds, Eddie Munson, for example, in Stranger Things season four, was a bit of a nerd figure. He was a dungeon master. But he was also the sort of grungy drug lord figure. Okay, well, I guess my question is, what is your, um, what is the difference for you of a nerd versus a geek? Okay, I think, um, I think a lot of people use them interchangeably. Mm -hmm. I think if, I think that that's an acceptable answer. I think if you were going to pinpoint what's the difference between a nerd and a geek is I think you can have a nerd still have gumption. And I think a geek is a doorman. Oh, okay. That's, that's definitely a a new one for me. Okay. Um, Almost leaning into sort of the circus dumb term of a geek. Well, I, you know, I guess I'm, I'm, I made this definition, my mental definition of these words before I knew that phrase was used. Thusly. No, that's fair. You know, mm-hmm. I didn't know that, that people were called geeks in the circus until we watched, um, Nightmare Alley, Nightmare Alley at Christmas time of 2021. Mm-hmm. So there's that. Great time. First yes. time back in theaters in a long time. No, yeah, that's that's very true. But, you know, that does not sway my opinion of what a geek okay, versus then, a nerd then is. Okay, lay down, uh, go, go forth. Well, so, okay, I would think that, like, Eddie would be more of a geek than a nerd. I think that nerds... Oh, interesting. I think that, for me, a nerd means that you fit right into the, like, straight-A kid you know, overachiever in, like, every academic sense, you know, completely helpless when it comes to defending themselves, has the tortoise shell of a uh, backpack full of books that are way above their, their caliber. Hermione Granger is a nerd. Oh, okay, okay. For me. Whereas, like, a geek is just Ron. Because Ron isn't good at anything, but he also doesn't fit in. Oh, interesting, interesting, interesting. Okay, 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 okay. You know what I mean? Okay. You're not cool, but you're not smart. I guess for me, I almost put um, Hermione as a nerd 
Neville is a geek. Early Neville. Oh, okay. Not well, later Neville. Later Neville is a rebel. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, I wasn't prepared for that. You're so right, though. Uh, and so he's I guess, pushing it <laughs> exactly. You know, like he's he's actively antagonizing his terrorist professors. You know, well, I think that there are levels of all of these things, but I think that I mean, I think that I think that Neville is also a geek. I think that they're all geeks. That's but fair. I think that Hermione is a nerd. That's fair. You know, I she's guess, the one that gets picked on by the geeks. I guess I also thought that um, on a certain level, Spock was a nerd. Well, I think that that's fair. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I think that there's a level of, like, ownership with nerddom. Ah, you can be a nerd of authority. Exactly. You can be a geek of authority. Mm-hmm. Or you can be Eddie Munson, a geek of authority. Exactly. Ron, a geek of no authority. Exactly. Ah. Exactly. It really depends on, like, but also, like, there's a lot of, like, um, I think that, like, nerds take a lot of pride in the things that they know. Fastidiousness in their habits. Exactly. And maybe that's what I was pointing toward with, like, um, a sense of authority more than a geek. Okay. Is, is that focus. Mm-hmm. No, I think that that's, I think that that's totally fair. Um, no, I was, I was really curious about, about your definition. Cause I like, I wanted to understand the, these terms through your eyes a little bit more. Mm-hmm. So, um, thank you for this. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and I'm glad that you asked because it was, it was a great question. Um, and, and I think that it is like something that has like a lot of, you know, dis- denotation and connotation that are regionally based and experience based exactly exactly Mm -hmm. a midwesterner might have a totally different opinion no nerd and geek Mm -hmm. um soda and pop kind of a thing exactly Mm -hmm. um no that was that was actually fascinating um and i guess actually on that note we did already touch on a few do you have any other famous nerds or overachievers um, well, yeah, from I, already, film and, and <laughs> I already said, like, my, my top one, which is, like, Hermione You can check Granger. out our election episode, oh, which true. is all about an overachiever. Very true. You know what? Um, I think that, I think that that character is, is very solidly, like, what I would consider, like, a, a nerd, you know, or, um. Yeah. You know, solidly, because, like. She hits a, the double whammy of nerd overachiever. You yeah. You know, she's sort of, whom, whom, both. No, for sure. And um, I think that they can be, like, lumped together, you know. You can, you can be, I guess, a geek overachiever of a sort. But, like, Rachel Warsham, mm. who, who we knew in, in, in school, was an overachiever. Yes. But not necessarily a geek or a nerd in any kind of sense. No, no. But, you know. She was a type A. That's, that's completely fair. And I'm just not. <laughs> But she was she was a full blooded type A. No, yeah, yeah. Um, another thing that I didn't know totally dipped into my childhood, and I had no idea what that phrase meant. It's literally mm-hmm. a lyric in a Hercules song. Is you know being type A. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, let's see another. Milo Thatch nerd. Yes, 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 for sure. Oh, that's a good one. Thank you. Ah, man, I am, like, struggling over here. I said one just, like, so absentmindedly, and now you've, like, Um, given me assignments. George McFly, geek. Yes, yes. 
I think that oh yeah 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 his oh pops oh, yeah that that man that's a oh, geek oh um what's his name the oh the who, actor yeah the guy who plays him Crispin Glover that's right I knew he had a weird name um uh Bruce Banner is a nerd that's fair he's not like an overachiever of any sorts he's just incredibly smart whereas like I don't think that Tony Stark is a nerd no. At the end of the day, he's got he's got too much effortlessness to it. You know, mm-hmm. there's he's not working really hard to be the smartest person in the room. He just is. Mm-hmm. Well, and and the other thing is, he has the um, he the the other thing is, of course, the introvert extrovert duality of of intelligence. Oh no, I think that that's totally fair. Um, And there are also very um, stereotypes that that fluctuate throughout the you know the the cinema landscape of the fact of like very specifically like these are the things that you expect from X category. And Absolutely, I feel like most people do categorize like nerds as as introverted you know small people because then all of the extroverted energy is is usually um, portrayed with their bully. Yeah, exactly. Um... So for today's episode, we decided to, of course, focus... We didn't really do, I guess, a bully-centric episode. Bullies are in a lot of our episodes. Well, yeah, but let's not promote bad behavior. That's right. Um, And so instead, we decided to go down a different route, and we decided to focus on an academic overachiever and a very different kind of nerd... But a nerd nonetheless. No, for sure, yeah. And so in today's episode, we're doing Rushmore, uh, Wes Anderson's film from 1998, and Brick, Ryan Johnson's film from 2005. Uh, Before we get going, though, I did decide that we would do, instead of history background the way that we typically do, I thought that I would do a little bit of a uh, director profile on Wes Anderson. Very brief. Mm Mm-hmm. So, Wes Anderson was born May 1st, 1969 in Houston, Texas. He is known as a producer, writer, and director, and the number of films that he has uh, overseen as a writer-director are 10. Okay. Uh, he's, He's right where Quentin wants to retire. So... What a fucking luxury. (laughs) Um... But Wes has no signs of retiring. And for a little bit of background on Wes Anderson, if you didn't know, he he was born Wesley Wales Anderson. That's a lot of W, guys. The middle child of three boys born and raised in Texas. His mother, Texas Ann, was an archaeologist turned realtor. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm not fucking around. Her name? Her name is Texas Ann Burroughs, then Anderson. And she lives in the state of Texas? Yes. Oh, gosh, this is my niece. <laughs> Virginia lives in Virginia. That's that's right. Yeah. Oh, did Dakota Fanning ever live in a Dakota? I don't believe so. Oh, missed opportunities. So, uh, his father, Melver Leonard, oh. was an advertising NPR. He and his brothers uh, grew up well-educated, 
with Wes attending St. John's Prep School in Houston. Oh, well, that's how he knew how to write a prep school. At a young age, his parents divorced. A moment that Wes considers a profound change point for him. Interesting. Uh, After school, he attended UT to study philosophy. Hmm. And in 1989, he met Owen and then eventually Luke Wilson, with whom he would collaborate to make Bottle Rocket. Interesting, interesting. And the rest, as they say from there, cinematically at least speaking, is history. He would go on to make Bottle Rocket, and then um, that short would get the attention of a producer who would say, make it a feature. And that leads us literally right to the doorstep of Rushmore. Fascinating. Honestly, like, um, just listening to his very brief, um, biography definitely can, can hear a lot of Wes-isms just, just sprinkled throughout. Um, I, I never realized, I guess, how much copy and paste of his actual life we get to see in his, in his filmography. All of them. Honestly, yeah, it's, now, now thinking about it, it, it makes sense of why they're, they're always very, like, focused in, in, in on, like, emotional moments but in an almost kind of like a passive way mm-hmm. you know so wes as an overall director is of course known for multiple things uh symmetry mm-hmm. pastel color palettes mm-hmm. um unique pastiche soundtracks okay i'd say are kind of the touchstones uh beyond that of course uh, dry humor, mm-hmm. an almost flat affect mm-hmm. at times in performance. No, yeah. Um, and ultimately, very quick dialogue, if you really boil it down. It's an extravagant universe that people are bored in. And no one really monologues. No, yeah, because it's also very slice of life. Everything is is very much a... Say what you need. Yeah, or, you know, if it doesn't make sense, it, it doesn't make sense, but that's who you are as a character, and... Or also maybe just be as blunt as you need to be. Mm-hmm. Why didn't you ever come looking for me? Because I hated my father and I never wanted to be one. Well, that's, I guess, what I mean, you know, by mm-hmm. people being bored with the the world that they're in, you know, yeah. look at all of the color, and yet I'm still going to find things to nitpick about you, my life, this, you know, I'm I'm wearing a giant stupid clown bow, and the, yet I can still manage to, to sit here and, and find a serious moment. The, the pageantry of the world around you doesn't ultimately matter. What's mattering is, is here. Exactly. Um, but also we're going to let sort of everything speak for itself Mm -hmm. on a weird level. Our actions, even our subtext is going to be on a certain level, very laid bare, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, but I think that's a very interesting, um, approach and very Wes, honestly, with the, the way that he was literally brought up with a mother named Texas, that's that's not a real that's Who not was a real thing. An archaeologist, what's the career of the mother in Okay, so he he goes and he does Bottle Rocket, which is one story. Then he does Rushmore about a kid in a prep school. 
he follows up Rushmore with the Royal Tenenbaums, which is about three adult children who have all been affected in their own unique ways by the divorce of their parents, whose mother is an archaeologist. I mean, and the middle child is one that goes and, uh, or the one that is the adopted child who feels the most sort of out of place with the other ones, kind of like a middle child, is also the one that goes and writes plays. I mean, but that's what happens in Rushmore. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you look at the, the core dynamic again of the life aquatic, it's fathers and sons. And then as he's gotten older, I think what's gotten interesting is he is now a father. Mm-hmm. And it's it's this perspective of a parent, uh, you know. And a different relationship between father and son has formed. You look at Isle of Dogs, which is a movie that he kind of did for his son. And it's about, more so than I think even um, Life Aquatic, it's about someone really sort of stepping up to the idea of fatherhood. Oh, see, I was thinking about um, the French Dispatch. Oh, okay. With a very, like, openly loving father-son relationship. Yes, 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 yes. Really different dynamics, but mm-hmm. also father and son is at the core of... But, I mean, I think at the end of the day, I think that Wes has a, has a way of looking at... Um, I guess, um, human monotony... Mm-hmm. And finding little bits of of happiness, of of simple pleasures out of those things, and that's why you know the the world can be big, but the moments can be small. Mm. Is is the fact that it doesn't it like you said you know it doesn't matter what what the, what color the sky is. It, it what matters is is human interaction and, and these people connecting, even even these very odd flat you know, blasé people at times yeah. can also still have, you know, interesting things to add to the situation. And I think that that's, I think that that's pretty fantastic, honestly, because at the end of the day, um, no one in a Wes Anderson movie, even if it's exactly himself or his family or whomever, they're all completely different. Mm-hmm. And... You know, they go in on unexpected journeys, and I think that that is something that we can, you know, is, is, is a normalizing force, almost, you know. I don't have to step up and achieve being, you know, Captain America. Yeah. I can watch these people in this crazy world just be normal. And, like, also, you know, that's I think that's more relatable at the at a certain extent, you know. No, absolutely. Like, nobody can fly. <laughs> well, and um they make bad decisions. No, yeah. They make good They're decisions. Humans. Um they are pig-headed. Mhm. Some of them are idiots. No, yeah, but I think that that's the beauty of it. Like nobody is no one in a Wes Anderson movie is perfect 100% of the time. No, and and anyone that you might even consider, what's I think interesting is some of the people that you might consider the the best of them are often sometimes the ones that don't make it out of the narrative at all in some instances or um, 
go through, in some cases, the most difficult transition. I think that that's probably fair. Um, but I mean, also, like, I don't know. I, f- I feel like whatever you're thinking about with those things is so specific uh, to to a character um, that I have no idea where you're possibly pulling from. Uh, um, the, the first one is definitely um, Life Aquatic, Ned. I think Ned is probably, like, which one your... Is Ned? The Owen Wilson character. Oh, okay. I think Ned is probably your most sort of pure character in that scenario. No, I... I, Of that island of misfit toys. I think that that's fair. Um, Well, I I guess I was, you know, thinking maybe even, like, in line with our movie right here, Rushmore. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, with this this kid that we literally watch go down... Get humbled go down this spiraling rabbit hole into chaos because he might actually be an act uh, like an axe murderer um the tbd on that one well i guess with that we should just go ahead and jump into it i mean we've been talking about wes so it feels like a, a perfect transition so rushmore was released uh in 1998 uh it is rated r it's an hour and 33 minutes. It is written and directed by Wes Anderson, but also co-written by Owen Wilson. Mm-hmm. The premise is a teenager at Rushmore Academy falls for a much older teacher and befriends a middle-aged industrialist. Later, he finds out that his love interest and his friend are having an affair, which prompts him to begin a vendetta. It stars Jason Schwartzman as Max Fisher, Bill Murray as Herman Bloom, Olivia Williams as Rosemary Cross, Seymour Cassell as Burt Fisher, and Brian Cox as Dr. Nelson Guggenheim. Mm. And without further ado, I'll toss it over to you. This was not your first West film at all. Uh, We've, of course, reviewed The Life Aquatic. You watched that one with me, uh, and you had seen some before, but this was your first Rushmore Yes, yes. I mean, you're just negating that entire, like, long talk that we just had about Wes Anderson. If I had never seen any of his things, I wouldn't have been a very good chat. (laughs) No fair. Um, I apologize. No, you're fine. I'm not offended. Um, yes, no, this was not my first Wes Anderson movie. Um, this was my first time with um Rushmore honestly I think that I just kind of missed out on Wes Anderson's earlier things and just um have just grabbed and and taken things as I as I can usually newer or later at the end kind of things so like for me this was a kind of fun to see just like a really bare bones movie of with with Wes because like like you talked about earlier you know he's he's known for these pastel palettes and all of the symmetry and all of these things that we we have come accustomed to and this movie has almost none of those things but it's still very much a Wes movie it has if I may it has all of his framing well I think that that's fair but I don't think that the average person is going to see that that's fair you know, you you can talk framing all day long. It's because you know what you're what you're talking about. Somebody is like, "There's a person's face on the screen," and like, that's that's it. The whole thing is a frame because it's in my TV. <laughs> <laughs> it is framed. framed. That is correct. That's right. We Idiot. Did it. <laughs> that's right. Um, this guy. Oh <laughs> yeah, yeah, but I think that um, this movie almost has like it's all it's it's really normal feeling um like the the world it feels almost like this movie is older than it is 
in a sort. Like, um, it, it kind of reminds me of, like, going in and, and watching, like, the original Halloween movie or something like that. You know, very much this is, this is a real place. This is exactly what it looks like. And, you know, nothing more to see here kind of thing. And I think that that's where it, it finds its, um, almost, like, humdrum aesthetic from. Um... I think that he does, I mean, I'm not really familiar with the whole prep school thing. Um, why even have kids if you're just going to ship, <laughs> ship them off for a year to go become an adult? You know, I just think that that's really weird. <laughs> um, but this one isn't, isn't like a boarding school. This one is just um, a prep school. Yeah, this is just a, a high school that requires children to wear t- uh, suits and ties. Um Gosh, man, they really prepared kids for for that, and then we all did work from home and said, "What if sweatpants was the was the uniform now?" Gosh, it's almost like they could have been kids. <sighs> Pity, wasted opportunities. Um, I I really enjoyed this movie. I was not expecting this like downward spiral into chaos. Um, and also I loved the description of his teacher being a much older woman and that makes her sound like she's somebody's grandmother no you know and and i guess in context of max well yeah she is much older but she's not an old it's not harold and maud like she's probably maybe 30 35 at the at the latest i really don't think so (laughs) (laughs) i really think that she is supposed to be like you your first year of teaching yeah 10 years out of high school boom this kid thinks that he can he can chat with me because we're just shy of each other Mm -hmm. you know what i mean um and and middle-aged for bill murray is always correct because like god he's been middle-aged since ghostbusters he has been i mean honestly it's been the receding hairline it was it was doomed from the beginning um I think that that's fair, but I just think it's funny that they, like, label her as a much older woman. Like, she is 47 (laughs) and has three children, and this is her her naughty affair with a student. You know, like, what are you guys talking about? She's a young woman. He's a child. (laughs) Let's get this in, let's get this in perspective. Paragraph. (laughs) Um, but yeah, no, I... I I absolutely loved when this movie did get extravagant, which is with the plays. The plays are ridiculous, and I absolutely love it. I loved this, like, let's maximalist how you do a play so hard that you're like, this isn't practical at all. But all of these people are sitting in the audience like, oh, this child is a genius. And you're, I would honestly be thinking the same thing, too. Like, <laughs> That thing is better than Disney, you know? Blue frozen out of the water. No, honestly, screw the Avatar people. This child has a helicopter that is making actual noise and is a prop, guys. Like, we're not gonna... You're kidding me. Like, it's 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 so unrealistic. He had a flamethrower on set. He had a flamethrower on set! <laughs> he literally has some child messing with it. <laughs> and they're all so so serious with it and it just makes it absolutely perfect honestly um i think that i think that this movie also like finds a really nice level of like this isn't what people sound like at all 
Like, everybody sounds like a really adult person. You know what I mean? And I think Wes, in general, has that real unreal dialogue. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. It's, it's almost what people say and sound like, or maybe it's what people wish it's they like a, said and sounded it's, like. It's like a heightened thing, you know? It's, it's, it's without all of the, the hesitation. This is exactly what I want to tell you, you know? Boom. But also, he's, he also has moments where people, and I think that this is also the gift of his writing at, at a certain level, um, him and, and uh, Roman Coppola, um, and, and Wilson, all of his writing partners, I suppose. Um, it's he this worked ab- with Coppola? Roman Coppola. Oh! Oh! He used to be... Pause. He is tight overall with the Coppola family, partially because Jason Schwartzman is a Coppola. What? Jason Schwartzman is related to Talia Shire. Talia Shire is a Coppola. I'm never going to be in Hollywood ever. This I'm is, not related to anybody important. Um, his mom is Michael's sister in The Godfather 1 through 3. The one that gets beat up? Yeah. That's Jason Schwartzman's mom. I just... I just... But also, if I'm not mistaken, Wes used to be, and and I don't want to be mistaken here, but I could be, romantically entangled with Sophia. Copy. And I'm just and gonna reiterate friends, of course, my, with Roman. my 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 statement from earlier. I'm never gonna be able to do anything in Hollywood because I'm not related to anybody. Famous. Because also, um, I guess, you know, Hollywood must be like a theater where everybody's just fucking everybody. That's correct. So, you know. Um, I mean, theoretically, once upon a time, there could have been a, a dinner table that included Francis Ford, Wes, Sophia, Jason Schwartzman, and Nick Cage. Oh my god. he is also a Coppola. So, uh, and Owen Wilson, maybe. Because he could have just tagged along. Well, it's a small world, after all. That sounds like an ideal blunt rotation, though. I, I really, I really don't know. I really don't know. I feel like they're going to talk about a bunch of stuff that I don't understand. Yeah, and then Nick Cage is going to talk. Oh. oh! No, I did forget that Nick Cage was here. <laughs> and then Nick Cage is going to talk. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And honestly, no, they're, they're all going to be patting themselves on the back about how how good their version of their thing that's basically the level of the Godfather is, and they're all going to go, "Oh yes, and your then, Godfather was darling." And then I'm going to look at Jason Schwartz and I'm be like, "I love bored to death." <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. His HBO show. Um, oh, I adore this I've movie. Heard of. Um, I think Jason Schwartzman does a great job of because he is he is a young man. He's an eighteen year old, if I'm not mistaken, around this time. Um, he looks like exactly the same. And it's so hard to believably sound 
like a smart kid. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? It's so hard to find what he finds in Max Fisher, this weird otherworldly confidence. And I think that that's definitely what you're reading is like this American psycho vibe. You know? Yeah. Like... Well, also, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> when did this movie come out? 1998. Yeah, it was prime time for like this child having a lot, a lot of moments where I was like, you're, you're, you're a sexual deviant. <laughs> This you're, person, you're a predator. You you are. <laughs> you are. He's just constantly throwing himself at the teacher. And like the moment when he keeps trying to kiss her and she's literally telling him no, I was like, ah, I'm gonna die. Um, but no, like Max Fisher, the character, essentially, he travels on on a certain level. This is the bleakest character arc. It ends well. But for a while, for the character, this is one of the bleakest character arcs, I think, of any Wes Anderson character. This character learns more of a lesson than Dear Evan Hansen does. In yeah, Dear Evan Hansen. yeah. This kid really gets his teeth knocked in. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. What happens to Evan? He doesn't get to date that girl anymore and people are mad at him? Oh, boo-hoo. Um, but no, like, this kid, he gets thrown out of his first school. He gets thrown out of public school. He he ends up essentially stuck, not sure where he's going to go next. No, yeah, I think this character is, like, also, like, really interesting because of the fact that, um, he's got a lot of airs about him, you know what I mean, for, like, a kid who doesn't have any of that, you know, and I think that that's, I think that that's honestly his whole lesson is just learning to, like, accept who he is and, like, that being okay instead of, like, trying to... Trying to pretend like his dad's a doctor. So, um, Matt Stoller, uh, Seitz, who is a film critic that has been writing on Anderson since Bottle Rocket the Short, um, has talked about Wes and, and this movie a lot. And one of the things that he essentially says about this movie, and I'm in, in definitely inclined to agree, is that the Max Fisher character is a jerk hero in the same mold as... Bill Murray and Tom Cruise heroes of the 70s and 80s. Oh, I think that that's totally fair, but that's also why that moment totally works when he's, like, pretending to be Tom Cruise! He, and and that's also why it works that then the Bill Murray character is like, I like this kid. And he's kind of the jerk hero grown up. Listen to that speech that he gives at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Where he's like, fuck him. You know? Um... And that kid is like, yes! <laughs> Absolutely poetic! Kind of, <laughs> it's that same sort of rebel energy that is beating at the heart of both of these guys. Mm-hmm. Of this rebel without a cause figure. And and I think that that's truly where some of that that jerk spirit meets that teen angst of this person who is also way smarter than he should be at this age. Mm -hmm. Getting him into all of the trouble in the world that gives him the most humbling lesson possible. No, yeah. It's really smart, and I think that that also plays well with his antics and with Bill Murray and him getting into this game of one-upsmanship. And and the, the joke that Brian Cox makes... You know, you're on, um, he essentially makes a, you're on a double secret probation joke. 
when he first calls Max into the office. And that's an Animal House reference, which is all about jerk heroes. The entire cast of Animal House is jerk heroes. Isn't that that book that they make you read in high school? No, that's Animal Farm. Well, I tried. Animal House. Oh, that's the frat movie. That's yes. the that's the frat movie with that that guy. John Belushi. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, no. and uh, Tom Hulse, Amadeus himself. No, yeah, that that movie was definitely not something that my parents watched. No, but that's a whole bunch of jerk heroes. Yeah, but that's the reason. Uh huh. Uh, and so I think that they really capture that here, and also how like that does eventually get out of hand. Yeah, that uh, but behavior I think that, gets out. Of I hand. think that it's great, though. I think that 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 this rule that the world actually has real stakes because if this was actually one of those jerk hero movies, everybody would just be like, "Oh, it's just that you know that better instincts or whatever you know they're." You know, oh, Pat, Pat, it's just who they are. Boys will be boys. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and you know, at the end of the movie, the song that plays is. Uh, faces ooh la la and the the chorus is i wish i knew what i knew now and and max is truly by the time that we get to that point in the song even though it's only been a year of school for him has truly gone on a journey and has learned more i mean has it been a year we've only done four acts of months Um, it's like december right or does the end part go all the way to the end i think we transfer into technically a new year we don't necessarily um, travel with him through a full calendar year, but we do arrive at a new year with him. Copy. Okay. Um, and so he's gone through, though, in that time, more education than he has ever gone through school. And he has truly learned something that he probably should have learned a long time ago. No, yeah. I mean, honestly, I guess I'm going to sound like somebody's parent. Um, if he put as much fucking work into his actual schoolwork as in, then into making that aquarium for some woman who literally wasn't interested, um, he would be he would be president of the United States at 15. Yeah. Because so the bar is really low. <laughs> um, but, it, you know, I, I think that that's also what makes it so compelling is Again, going back to what does make Wes such a, a good storyteller is it's so human that at times it becomes so messy that it's also very compelling, you know, to, to continue to watch it, to watch these people be so human. No, yeah, yeah, no, I think that, I think that that's totally fair. Um, it's, it's something that he does, he does really well in, in spite of his aesthetic. Because I think that people read it as a coldness on a visual level, but he's really just sort of plainly presenting. Yeah, I mean, um, I guess, you know, when the, what they, they tell you in, in acting classes, um, you know, you, on stage you're playing it for the back row, but for film you're not. And I think that he minimizes it even more than that, where it's like, it's a lot of these subtle moments that are on, you know, on the faces, on the way that they say the lines, on, you know, these these very small, intricate things, and you have to pay attention to all of the details or else you're going to miss something kind of meticulousness mm-hmm. to it because it's not going to give you a show. Mm-hmm. You know, the show is... You're, the, you're, if you want the spectacle, that's really nice. Look at all the cool stuff. It's almost sleight of hand. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. No, I think that that's completely accurate. Um, because that's also when uh, emotions do get big, 
that they actually mean something because if if you're if you're constantly it's it's kind of like the boy who cried wolf mm. you know if if everything is huge and in your face all of the time nothing is actually going to land yeah melodrama can get tiresome exactly because how much further can it possibly go whereas here you know the moment that you see this kid break and basically rebuild himself like it's an actual moment of being like oh holy crap like the stakes are real you know we don't realize how far it's gonna go until we cross that line you know um and I think that I also get cemented with the fact that the stakes are real. You know, he doesn't just get to, you know, slap on the wrist, go back to school where he wants to go. He doesn't get what he wants. He has to learn this lesson. Yeah. No, I think that that's all totally fair. Um, so if you had to rate Rushmore out of five, what would you give it? I'm going to give Rushmore a four. Um... I think that it's a really good movie. I really like a lot of um, the flair with it. I and I think that Jason Schwartzman is doing a phenomenal job. I just don't know if it's like my favorite Wes Anderson movie. No, that's fair. I mean, they can't all be the favorite. No, yeah, and like I can see where the director, the writer, I enjoy is coming from exactly exactly but i just you know he's he's still learning here what's and this also just isn't a story that hits you yeah you know like i went to a public arts school you know and and lived a middle class life like i understand that this kid is you know lower class but also his dad never seems too plussed about the fact that like he is literally failing out of every class as long as his son's having a good time. Mm-hmm. You know, I, that's not realistic. That's not realistic in the slightest. There's being a good father and then realizing that you're setting yourself, your son up for like disaster at a yeah. certain extent, you know, like why even have him go to the school where he's basically treating it as like summer camp. Yeah. Um, actually as a, as a random aside, um, I'll give it a four as well. Um, One of the things that I do truly find the most um, difficult things for me about Max definitely is um, his treatment of of his father. And I think that sometimes, um, you know, I understand why he does it as a character point, but also at times it just, it really bums me out. You know what I mean? No, yeah. And I mean, I think that a lot of it is because of his situation of being at this mm-hmm. school and, like, having to put on, you know... Airs. Yeah. Or else, you know, he won't quote-unquote fit in. Mm-hmm. But, like, again... But even just in personal interactions, up until you get toward, again, where he has truly been humbled... Well, yeah, He can because, be so cold with his father. Because at the end of the day, he looks at his father as somebody who is who is given up. Mm-hmm. And he's not going to be like that. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't have time for it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I like it a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, certainly, again, not one of my favorites, but I think it's brilliant. Um, and it's such a, a wonderful debut film. And I could also understand someone saying that it is their favorite. Because I'm sure that someone definitely out there... And I see. I certainly relate on a certain level to Max Fisher, but I think that for some people there's there's an even deeper relation to it than than I have. No, I think that that's fair. Um 
I mean, I don't, I don't personally relate to Max. If anything, I guess I relate to Mrs. Cross, this woman who's just too nice and goes too far, totally by accident. Mm -hmm. And it's like, crap, let me reel myself out of this crappy situation. (laughs) Um, I guess we should move on to our next film. See. Another one that's kind of a, um adults or or children sounding like adults at times uh picture oh god i mean even more so with uh ryan johnson's brick who knew it was possible uh it came out in 2005 it is written and directed by ryan johnson Uh, The premise is a teenage loner pushes his way into the underworld of a high school crime ring to investigate the disappearance of his ex-girlfriend. It stars Joseph Gordon-Levitt as Brendan, Luke Haas as The Pin, Emily DeRaven as Emily, uh, Megan Good as Kara, and Nora Zahetner as Laura. Uh, and I guess I'll go ahead and take this one away. So I caught this one for the first time in the summer of 2010. Uh, I had gone to a summer film program and I met a guy named Nathan and he told me about this movie Brick and he thought that I would dig it and he let me his DVD and I took it home with me that summer and I watched it and I loved it. And I watched it a lot that summer until the point that he eventually sent me a text being like, are you sending that, that movie back to me? Um, wow. And I've never watched something that hard unless it had Disney slapped on it. (laughs) Um, I really, I really dug this movie. I really latched onto it. I thought that Ryan Johnson had had done something a lot of fun and then like this was also right around the same time of like the brothers bloom was about to come out um and then i went and i saw that one and then of course looper came out um and so for me he's really been ever since i first saw brick he's been a all hits no misses director um and i hadn't seen it in a while You know, I watched it a lot, and I watched it all throughout even college a few times. Um, But it's been a long time since I've seen Brick. And going back to it, I definitely still loved it. I think it's still really, really great. I think that the Brendan character, for me, left me colder than he used to. Um, But... I ultimately still think that this is a really, really fun, clever, campy, funny, if you let it be, um, movie. I think that that's totally fair. And I also think that this movie is really dark and twisted and sad and kind of creepy. Mm-hmm. And, you know, um, I, I I totally agree with, you know, it, it having humor, but... I don't know. I think that the 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 Joseph Gordon Levitt character, um, I don't know what's his name, Nate. I know that that's not right. Brendan. Brendan. Ah, oh, gosh, terrible name. Um, yes, Brendan. Um, I. 
I think that the more that we we learn about these these people and this underbelly and the the more he turns he starts to just like he keeps turning me off of him. The uglier everyone gets. Well, I mean, honestly, but like at the end of the day, you know, one, I understand that it's it's a noir set in a high school. I totally get that. Um, I think that it I think that this movie goes almost entirely too far mm-hmm. in that direction. Um pretty quickly in order to to keep its motif Mm -hmm. and i think that that's totally fine and i i I enjoy it to i guess to an extent but it's for me starts to hit a point of being completely unrealistic Mm -hmm. that it it starts to to take me out of the experience because at the end of the day like where are the adults yeah where are any of the adults where are brendan's parents where are brendan's parents why is the pin's mom so chill about the fact that she's literally like a drug mule house and he's not like keeping this whole godfather thing under wraps like unless she is stupid like how is how is he getting away with any of this how are any of you literally have um you know channing tatum's sad cousin as a bodyguard Mm-hmm. In this thing, you know, you got step up Channing Tatum in this movie. And, um, I, I, and like, don't get me wrong. Like, I, I guess I'm, I feel like I'm being maybe a little overcritical of this movie. No, um, no, no, you're fine. But I guess like, what happened to this place? Like in LA within this white neighborhood where everybody is very well off. Like, is this, is this really what it gets like when you're, you're so rich that you get bored that you start, you know, hawking cocaine? <laughs> well, I mean, I guess, um, I can address a few points that you did make just recently. Um, I have been to a home where, um, the main breadwinner of the home was a drug dealer And it was very known that the main breadwinner of the home was a drug dealer. People were coming and going. It was mom. It was sister. It was um, child. Um, It was um, sister's new boyfriend, you know. And you would, you know, be in there sometimes and it would be dinner time. And you'd walk past people having dinner, you know, on the way to... Uh, you know, where the deal was about to happen. And it was as normal as any other day. Uh, Furthermore, as far as the lifestyles of the rich and the famous, uh, I lived in a neighborhood. uh, It was a wealthy suburb of of McKinney, Texas. And there was a a neighbor, not of ours directly, he was a, like a few neighborhoods over, but you could walk to his place because all the neighborhoods were connected by like a a park with a a walkway. Mm -hmm. And um, he ended up going and getting house arrest um, because he was uh, selling alcohol and I think drugs to 18-year-olds in exchange for, uh, sexual favors. Um, Jesus Christ. And then we also, of course, just down the block, and this what these were my direct literal neighbors, just down the block, of course, were, um, the swingers that ended up getting arrested in a whole, uh, thing. Uh, and then my sister's high school was one of the, the sort of 
high schools that was listed by, I think, Vanity Fair at one point as one of the meanest schools in America, and there was a whole expose about how the the principal had used her her power as a principal to make sure that her daughter, the cheerleader, and all of her friends made it through high school unscathed. So, as far as, like, what rich people do when bored... Well, then that makes perfect sense because just look at the education system now as a whole. You know, long as you show up or breathe or have a name on a piece of paper, that's good enough for for us, you know, diplomas for everyone. But those address some of your very specific points. No, yeah. And I mean, I guess like somewhere this is a real thing that's happening and like it's just as serious as this and the stakes are life and death. As this, I suppose. Um. But I still have to wonder, you know, I guess... I guess It is still exaggerated. I no, think... yes, I, I mean, I understand that it is exaggerated, mm-hmm. but I guess for me, it is exaggerated so far beyond the point of realistic. Without ever getting to a point of being as campy as Raimi or as meticulous as Anderson... Exactly, exactly, you know, um, because of the, other than it being staged as, staged as a, as a noir, everything else is completely, like, as it is, you know? It's not as funny as The Big Lebowski, but the premise almost suggests that it should be, but it's almost as pitch black as No Country for Old Men at parts. Yeah, yeah, like, it's, it's, and it's, it's not as, as, I guess, as sexy as, as, um is what is that movie called it's not called heat um body heat body heat that's what it is it's not as sexy as body or wild heat. things yeah. another high school set one where yeah. again it got campier exactly exactly you know whereas you could you could go down the this this journey i guess of it being a serious topic without it feeling like you know these kids are like actually living like these terrible lives and i guess you know on a certain um, level maybe since i've watched it a few times this most recent time that i saw it after having not seen it for a really long time i was almost like um this shit is bordering greece at times of like is did they mean to be funny here there were a few times where i was like i'm not sure this is supposed to be funny and i guess maybe like it would be funnier for me on like another watch Mm -hmm. or a few but like you know just watching it as like this is my very first time very sterile watch of this movie i was just like my god Mm -hmm. like i don't think that I now I understand why children have, you know, suicidal tendencies. Like if I went to this fucking school and you had to deal with this kind of shit, yeah. Yeah, where literally a gang violence thing happens in somebody's just neighborhood home because they're allowing their children to do drug deals in the basement. I just I just where are the parents? <laughs> Uh, (laughs) where are the parents and you know um it's almost operating on to that degree it's almost operating on horror film level rules where parents are either absent or they're or they're ineffectual yes every authority figure is either absent or ineffectual exactly exactly to the point where we even get the the black cop principal being like (laughs) you're a loose cannon cop on the edge no literally oh my i'm sorry that guy was the funniest part of the movie for me and that's where like there are literally parts of this movie where i'm like it's funny no that guy is hysterical it's supposed to be funny but like my god i um 
maybe this is terrible to say. Um, I hated the Emily character. I hate I hate his like mm. infatuation with this girl who is clearly like just fucked up and doesn't know what she wants and he is constantly like this weird uh, we've, we've, I can we've, help you figure it out. Yeah, yeah, but like also I can only help you if we're dating and if I get to see you all the time and why don't why don't you want me to why don't you want me to kiss you, you know, kind of energy and you're like, "Well, what is this? Mm-hmm. This is toxic. This is gross. And like all of his flashbacks, I was like, I don't even understand why you guys were dating in the first place. Like you were over here both being like, I love you, but I can't, Brendan, you know. But also we totally watched him literally be like, no, you're not making these decisions. And she was like, yes, I am. And he basically was like, I won't allow it. And that's weird. No, I get that. That's weird. And that's supposed to be like our our lead dude who's figuring this thing out. You know, and I... I uh, um, not, not my pigs, not my farm, I guess. Um, <laughs> you know? No, and I think that like... I think Brick out of all of his films is definitely my least favorite. I think that that's fair. You know, um, without even getting into rating it, I think that Looper is a better movie. I think that Brothers Bloom is a better movie. I think that The Last Jedi is a better movie. I think oh, Knives Last Out is a better movie. Yes, yes, yes. So I think that he has grown so immensely. And whereas I think that you can almost see Wes Anderson almost polished most of the way by Rushmore. No, honestly. And obviously, you know, Rushmore is his second film, and this is a true, like, first film. Um, but with that said, I think that you still see Ryanisms, this lean toward crime, this blending of noir and other genres and other tones and textures. Um, you know, his, his time travel noir with Looper. Um, his, his brother-based crime story, of course, with Brothers Bloom. The, the focus on the criminal underworld in The Last Jedi. You know, I think that he's really inspired by this, but again, he also grew up, you know, watching... Since this was when he was making his first movie, he's probably in his mid to late 20s by this point, uh, early 30s maybe. So he was watching the... Uh... Yep. So he was watching um, the noir boom of the 80s and 90s, and he was super influenced by, I'm sure, the Coens and and some of these movies that we talked about, like Body Heat and that sort of thing. Tarantino's, you know, big mm-hmm. wave in the 90s. And so I think that you definitely see that in everything that he does, but I think that he also takes it to a very different place than all of them. And I think that he does manage to find, even if his visual sensibility is maybe a little bit less specific, I think that you can always tell a Ryan movie in the way that it brilliantly meshes some of those themes and ideas. No, I mean, like, again, I think that this movie is a really clean product. Um, I think that, I think that I, you know, the influences are, are right there. Um, it's a work in progress film though. No. Yeah. I mean, like you, if, if you've never seen a noir movie before and you started watching this movie, you'd be like, do I like this genre? Is this, what is this? Is this, is this what they call noir? Is that what everybody's been spoofing? This is almost so hard into being a noir that it could be considered a spoof. 
Yeah. You know, it's it's almost taking it so seriously that it's like, it can't possibly be this serious, guys. And that's kind of where I live with, like, some of it has to be funny. Some of it is deathly serious. But some of it is no, so serious yeah. it's funny. Um, for sure. Um, yeah, I just... But I the wish... Brendan character is and grows more of a hurdle. Every with every with every time that you see him, he's he's just kind of like the worst dude. Like I don't understand why Brain hangs out with him. I he treats him like crap. Mm-hmm. And he is his only friend and he's just constantly just like He's using, a very dour person. Yeah, he just uses him for like his like to the point where like he has to like remind himself to like be nice to Brain almost. Like it's it's like, oh yeah, you know. Mm-hmm. You you are trying your hardest, brain. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. I almost forgot. You know, you're just furniture around me at this point. Yeah. Yeah, you're such a staple. I forget that you feel and 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 then have these these emotions. I'm so disconnected. I'm so focused on this girl who doesn't want me. Yeah. To the point where I'm obsessed with her. I I just I don't I don't I don't like I don't like the toxic masculinity in it. Um. So if you had to rate brick. Out of five. Uh, it's really, it's really, it's really conflicted. Uh... <laughs> I'm gonna go three. Ooh, okay, I feel better now. I was also gonna go with three. Okay. Okay, I feel better now. I was, I thought I was giving I was thinking this... maybe three and a half, but I'll go with the three. I think that everybody's doing a phenomenal job. I think that the acting is, is really good in this movie. I think that George, J- Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Joseph Gordon-Levitt, um, say that five times fast, um, I think that he's doing a phenomenal job. I, I really enjoy seeing young Joseph in this. Um, I mean, he's not too, too young, but he's still high school appropriate visual age. We're around, you know, uh, 10 Things I Hate About You, uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt. This is after that, right? Yeah. Okay, okay. But we're still close proximity no yeah and he's got that boyish face you know it's kind of hard to, to to pinpoint him in a in a place um but i think that he's he's taking you know everybody's having to do a lot of heavy stuff and they're doing a really good job with it um i think yeah for me the i think that it is just it's 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 an uncomfortable place for me i mm-hmm. it's it's so far that it's just like I don't, I don't know how I would react if somebody told me that this was how their childhood was. Mm-hmm. Number one, I think my answer would be, um, you need a really good therapist. <laughs> you need a, they pay them some really good money because they are going to need it. Mm-hmm. Because you got to work through a lot of this with your weird, um, God, what was his relationship with the black girl? Um, former lover. When? Before he was When he was a freshman. Okay, so before... She has always preyed on guys a grade, uh, uh, like, freshman boys. So I'm guessing that they started when she was probably, like, a junior... How old is she supposed to be? What what grade is he supposed to be in? They're seniors, I think, now. Okay, so if they're seniors together, then... I think he's maybe a junior. Okay. I think she is a senior. I think he is a junior. 
Okay. It's not very specific. Nobody ever goes to class. Mm-hmm. I repeat, no one is ever actually in She class. is a grade above him. He is a grade below her. He is okay. a junior. Okay. Copy. And then he met Emily and, mm-hmm. and became so obsessed that he couldn't, couldn't bear to love another person. Mm-hmm. God, and then they do the whole baby thing. Ah, oh, jeez. It's a three. <laughs> um, moving on. Uh, as far as what we've been uh, watching beyond these films, we did um, Into the Woods, the Broadway version. Yes, original Broadway cast from the 80s. Um, which was a first for me. Um, you grew up on that one. Yeah, I've watched this movie too many times. <laughs> Um, but I really enjoyed it. You know, I had seen, of course, the the Disney film. I saw that one in theaters. Um, and then you and I watched it together mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I definitely see where a lot of the things that I liked about the movie were improved. Um, you know, in, in the original version, you know, um... Things that were brought down, I suppose, for the Disney version. Um, and no, so yeah. I think that, um, I think it's really smart. I think that Sondheim is, is very um, impeccably talented. I think that he's very intelligent. Um, the structure of the show is really interesting. I think that they needed to lean more into it and less away from it. In, um, the, in, the, in the new version? Mm-hmm. No, I think that the, I think that that's totally fair. Honestly, I think that they shy away from the the gravity of what all of this means because it's it's almost like watching a Wes Anderson film, mm-hmm. where it's all of this fantasy, and at the end of the day, it's just a bunch of people who are trying to figure out the best thing to do for them, but realizing that their actions have impacted other people, and then what does that mean? You know, it's all of these. Do I do I work together? Do I stand alone? It's all of these human choices that are being made. And, um, I think that the, I think that the new version really leans into the idea that it's a musical. Yeah. Um, and then the other thing that we watched was Baz Luhrmann's, uh, Moulin Rouge because we watched Elvis recently and so we decided to go and do another Baz film. Um. Oh, blast. Impeccable film. So good. This is the this was my first time watching it like fully all the way through. Um and much better in context, I will say. I will say. Um Pandora for years has been trying to like sneak um songs out of context and I'm like, "Don't you dare do this to me." Because it doesn't make any sense out of context. Um since I did not grow up with this film. But no, fantastic. Ewan singing his heart out, doing a phenomenal job. Didn't know that Ewan could sing. Yeah, um, so I wanted to, I wanted to watch this movie actually on a certain level back when it first came out in theaters, but I was, I was too young at the time, but I remember, I remember taking my sister with mom and, and dropping Madeline off to meet her friends to go and watch Moulin Rouge. Like, I I vividly remember this, this memory. I really don't know how old you are in this story, and I'm going to tell you after knowing you and being married to you that you were not too young. You were fine. Um, and so I really wanted to see it very, very much so. Um, and once I finally got to 
I did love it, and it's always been one that I've gone back to and always have enjoyed it. Um, it's not one that I play endlessly, but it is definitely a very comfortable movie for me. Um, I know it so well. It's so vivid. It's so colorful. I love these characters. I love the characterizations. Um, it's one of my favorite Nicole Kidman performances. Ewan is so much better than he should be. Um, as a singer. Um, like I said, who knew you and he could sing? Um, honestly, I think he ultimately does a better job, truly as a vocalist, uh, than, than Johnny does in Sweeney. I think that Johnny does a great job performance-wise, and I think he is a very good singer in that movie. However, I think that Ewan, just as an overall vocalist, is is much more of a powerhouse performer. Well, yeah, um, I think that that's totally fair. Um, anybody who who walks away from Sweeney Todd and says, "Wow, Johnny Depp can really sing," is is missing the entire point of that um, performance yeah. and character. Yeah, um, it's almost a Lin Manuel character. It's not the point. Yeah, yeah, like you, <laughs> it's theater. You sh you should be able to look through it, look past it. You know, mm -hmm. it's about the acting, and he's and he's. He is acting the shit out of it, regardless of his his personal um, issues. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I think that Moulin Rouge is, is just a lovely movie. And um, I really enjoy Baz Luhrmann. There's only one Baz Luhrmann movie I truly don't like, and it's his Gatsby movie. I think it's trash. Um, but the rest of his filmography I really enjoy. Moulin Rouge, great. Australia, great. Elvis, great. Um... Romeo and Juliet, one of my favorite versions of that show. Well, yeah, because it's the only one that's different. <laughs> Every other version of Romeo and Juliet is copy-paste, copy-paste, West Side Story, copy-paste, mm -hmm. copy-paste. It's it's Victorian kids yeah. in love. Thank goodness. Um, um, but if I guess I have to choose one of those versions, then it's definitely the 60s version with the kid who looks like Zac Efron. Fair enough. Uh, beyond that, we've been, um, we've been watching Boardwalk Empire Season 1. Yes, yes. Quite um, enjoying Boardwalk Empire. We've been watching Harley Quinn. Love it, love it. Um, but that's pretty much it. Um, as far as recent media news, I don't have a lot for you. Um, the new Saints Row just came out. Um, <laughs> uh, oh, so essentially, uh, you know, we've been talking a little bit about the shakeup, of course, happening at HBO Discovery, and um, apparently it has pretty much been confirmed that the reason that so much has been removed is largely due to HBO's um, unwillingness, not even HBO, Discovery's unwillingness um, to pay certain royalties. Um they don't want to continue to pay certain union fees, ASCAP, uh, which is the uh, the record rights guild that you pay for music rights and that sort of thing. Um, they want to get some tax breaks on certain things, and it was all decided on low viewership, whatever that metric means. Um, there are now some rumors going around. I saw this on Twitter today that... Um, Discovery Brass has contemplated a um, 
funeral showing of Batgirl where they are literally going to do one screening of the movie and destroy it. Wow. So... Discovery. Um, it's, that's, that one, I think, for me, is one of the lowest blows. It's not even just removing it, but literally going, we're going to screen it one time and then going to purge and scrub from the face of the earth. Yeah, like... You may as well burn it. You may as well <laughs> just not do this at all. You've mm-hmm. already... You've... They've, they've already made a shit pie that they've sat in and rubbed all over their entire body. And now they, they're just gonna, they're just gonna marinate in it. They're, they've now gotten themselves a nice big chili bowl of shit and they've tucked themselves Mm. into it and they're just gonna wallow in it because like, do you really think that this is the thing that's going to get people to watch more of your stuff discovery? Like, or, or want to work with you moving forward. Yeah, if you're just going to go, you know what? All of that work, all of that money, all of that time, it means nothing to me. Well, and you know, you, you would have thought on a certain level that the very hyper-negative reaction that Netflix has gotten recently about some of its decisions would have been a little bit of a foreboding lesson. Well, no, because these people are exactly the same. Yeah, they're hard-nosed. Exactly. That's why they keep all doing the exact same thing with their platforms as they go, yeah, it happened to them, but that's not me. Mm. Fair enough. Um, that's just about all that we have for you, though, uh, for today's episode. Be sure to come back next month, uh, starting next week. When we right, jump it makes into, it seem like we're going like a whole hiatus. <laughs> uh, um, when we jump into Hispanic heritage, uh, next month will also, of course, mark one year of us hosting the show. Happy one year, guys! A year ago, at this point, I was I was supposed to not be sitting here, so <laughs> it was supposed to be Nick. Remember? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Nick was supposed to be your co-host, mm-hmm. and and I was free, <laughs> so. Yay! Well, I have loved having you as my co-host. I wouldn't change it for anything. Well, I appreciate it. Um, Thank you guys, as always, for listening, and we'll talk to you all next week. Bye! Bye.